welcome to Series 3 of I Am, I Have. I'm Lucy Donoghue and this podcast is brought to you by Happiful Magazine, Counselling Directory and our brand new Happiful app, which allows you to find help in your local area and read the magazine on the go for free. Now we all have mental health and some of us will experience or live with mental illness, but that doesn't define who we are. Through I Am, I Have, we'll meet with some wonderful people and find out more about who they are and the passions that shape their lives, as well as their reflections on their own mental health as they discuss their three I Ams and one I Have. We hope you'll enjoy this episode and please share your thoughts using the hashtag I Am, I Have and rate and leave us a review if you like what you hear. It helps others to find us and we read every comment you post. I'm so happy to welcome Josh Roberts to I Am, I Have today. Thank you so much for joining us, Josh. Thank you for having me. I Am, I Have is all about who we really are. So rather than me telling everyone about you, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. So I'm Josh Roberts. I'm 29 years old and I'm the author of a book called Anxious Man, Notes on a Life Lived Nervously, uh, which is a book about what it's like to have a mental breakdown, uh, what it's like to live with an anxiety disorder and how you go about getting better. And your first I am is I am in recovery from a breakdown. Tell us more. Yeah, so uh, probably about four years ago now, um, I went to a party and uh, pretty good party, not a particularly big party and, and actually been quite well behaved, um, but went to bed as a kind of fairly standard, I guess, marginally drunk uh 20 something and then woke up in the morning to discover that my mind had kind of collapsed right so i woke up into just this really savage panic attack that never really went away it morphed it went from a kind of immediate fear of of dying or uh, those kind of sensations of complete terror kind of morphed into a I guess, um, a, well, a generalised anxiety disorder, uh, an all-pervasive, obsessive uh, worry and worry about worry. And uh, that was four years ago. It was really, really bad for about a year. And uh, then I kind of turned a corner by doing various, uh, changing various elements of my life, which maybe we'll talk about a little later. Um, and yeah, I'm kind of been recovering ever since. So I don't think you're ever cured from one of these problems. I think you get better at spotting when, uh, you know, a sort of downturn is coming. And I think you learn how you can go about managing the downturns and make them shorter. And what you realise over time is that the intensity of the anxious or depressive or obsessive episodes gets shorter and the duration between them grows longer. And that's the kind of where I am at the moment, I think. And you're just about to release a book, Anxious Man, which has come comes out in April. And how was the process of writing that in terms of your recovery, but also seeing it in the world, as it were? How is that helping with your recovery? Yeah, so interestingly, I don't actually see the process of writing as being particularly therapeutic. Okay. Um, lots of people have asked me, well, does writing it all down and kind of having to remember the chronology of it kind of make it worse again or, you know, recalling those times, does it sort of stir or trigger um, anxiety? The the answer is no. I loved every moment of writing the book. It was uh, and is the best job I've ever had because I'm not uh, uh, an author by trade. Um, 
And uh, and so, yeah, it was a hugely gratifying and enjoyable experience, which definitely helped counter anxiety. Um, but I don't see it as being a kind of cure in itself okay. in the way that some people, I, and I can see why people assume that it might be. And the response to it so far, obviously, it's, it's not, it's not available to the public until the 16th of April, yeah. but you're talking to me about it today. You're on a couple of panels coming up. How is that public interaction around the, the, the subject matter working for you? Are you finding it easy to talk about your anxiety and, and what happened in the past? I, I do. Uh, lots of people don't. I mean, it would be pretty rich for me to say that I find it uncomfortable to talk about, given that I've um, written yes. this book. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's something that I'm very cheery to talk about. Uh, at the start, it wasn't an option for me not to talk about it. I mean, now, obviously, it's kind of um, part of my day to day. But when it first happened, you know, when I was in those first few weeks and months after the kind of initial breakdown, um, in a way, I was lucky because it was so bad that I had to talk about it. It, it. I couldn't hide it from my boss or from my family or my girlfriend or anything like that. And so I kind of had to talk about it in a way which if you have a kind of maybe uh, slightly less intense or if you've struggled with something for a longer period of time maybe you you're able to sort of bury the issue uh, that wasn't the case for me I always had to talk about it and now I have to tell you going on you know podcasts like this which is an incredible podcast uh, or speaking at events or I do a lot of going to businesses to talk about mental health at work it's a huge pleasure um, one of the only benefits of mental health problems versus physical ones and again maybe we'll talk about this a little later is that often just talking about them is not enough to cure the problem but it's definitely a good place to start and it's hugely gratifying to to be able to do that as as part of my inverted commas job I would agree with everything you say there and and obviously it's one of the things we try to do at Happful is is eradicate that stigma by promoting conversation definitely. around it and it's your second I am which is I am hopeful that my experiences can help others. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, it follows on from what we were just talking about in terms of um, talking about your problems with mental health as opposed to physical health um, being a, uh, a good way to start kind of unpicking the problem. If you have cancer, talking about it probably won't ever reduce the size of the tumour. But actually, um, there's a lot of evidence to show that talking about anxiety, my issue, or depression, or whatever it might be, um, is often a very good starting point for kind of curing these problems. The conversation around men and mental health has moved on immeasurably in the last, I don't know, two or three years. And it's helped by, or been propelled by, I think, celebrities primarily. And I'm trying to probably, and that's hugely valuable because, you know, to see successful people struggling with these issues makes you feel as someone who might not be a celebrity, oh, well, maybe it's kind of cope withable. Um, but actually, the this kind of second wave is, is, I think, just as important, which is, wait a minute, there's normal people who also have these problems. And I think that's probably where I slot in. We were really lucky with the book to have um, Stephen Fry very kindly write a really um, thoughtful forward and it's beautiful isn't it incredible he's like just the smartest man you've ever come across and what he says is that exact point you know we've made huge strides in terms of you know, celebrities or high profile figures talking about these issues and now it's time for you know, maybe less high profile people. And I would definitely put myself in that bracket. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I love the fact that you talk very openly about the impact this had on you on a day-to-day basis. So there's one um, instance that you've written about, which is is crying in the loos at work. Yeah. And, you know, getting to that point where it was every day and where you were having to kind of stifle your sniffles so that, you know, Jim from accounts, yeah. who was in the cubicle next to you, couldn't hear. Yeah. And I think... I think that sometimes it's easier for women to have those conversations when they're encountering that kind of panic or emotion at work. And I think you being able to talk about that and saying this this was happening regularly really opens up a conversation about how tough it can be on a day-to-day basis. Yes, I, I, I actually, interestingly, it's one of the things that when I, when blokes come up to me at a party or drinks thing or whatever it's one of the things that if they're in a confessional mode they will often talk about how they've had similar instances in the bogs at work i think um so it does happen i just i think it's probably under reported and under discussed i think we're at a turning point though and you know like we were saying there's the high profile figures and celebrities talking about these issues and now muppets like me also you know kind of talking not a muppet. Not a muppet. <laughs> talking about these kind of things as well and particularly in a business context when i go and i'd speak to, uh, you know a um, number of companies each week about the, the issues around mental health at work and outside of work it feels like we're at a stage now where companies are going to get are starting to get really smart about mental health and you know, even folks like the CEO of Lloyd's Banking Group was was talking recently about his own breakdown and crying in the bogs at, at his work. And so I feel like, yeah, maybe we haven't hi- historically been very good about talking about these things. But I think, again, we're at a kind of inflection point. I think so, too. And on a number of levels, you know, we're all human. Um and we take our human selves to work every day. We we don't we don't leave our, our whole person outside the door when we go to work. I think people are understanding that you know mental health can have a significant impact in terms of the productivity oh, of organisations as well. So even if someone in a large corporate isn't thinking about the person primarily. There are benefits of, of starting to incorporate mm. those those mental health conversations. hundred percent. And also I think another sign that this is kind of changing is, and again, it's just from my experience going and speaking at companies, is they're starting to move from a focus on cure to a focus on prevention. Yeah. So in the past, companies have been very cheery to, you know, throw resource or provide health insurance for people and then drive them, you know, work them to the absolute bone uh, and co- almost cause the problem, use the fact that they provide, you know, curing facilities and as, as an excuse for also providing horrendous working yeah, that's conditions. The point. Exactly. And we're starting to see a change. I was um, I was speaking at a, a tech business, this is about three months ago, and the HR lady was giving me a tour of the building and she said she was showing me the the meditation suites and the um, the CBT therapists. And she was saying, you know, how cool is it that we have two in-house CBT therapists on site? Well, I said to her, I was like, it's cool that you have them. It's weird that you need them. That's true. And maybe if you weren't, you know, demanding 100-hour weeks from your employees or maybe if you turn the email servers off after, I don't know, 8 p.m. or something, maybe you could turn those into a 
cafeteria or something. That's so true. You know, and my first response was, that's amazing. But you're mm. absolutely right. You shouldn't need that. Um, and when you're when you're talking about your experiences, are there very practical things that you've learned from, like you just said, turning your email servers off or other things that you think, no, you've spoken to all these people. There are some very simple changes we need to make in terms of mental health yeah. in the workplace. Well, at work, yeah, but I think... It, it is, like I mentioned, it's moving from a focus on uh, driving people to the edge and then fixing them once they once they fall off it yeah. to a focus on actually not driving them towards the edge in the first place. Yeah. So things like, um, uh, you know, agile working and allowing people to kind of manage their own time. There's loads of studies when you empower people to plan their own days, how that actually impacts on their engagement and purposeness, purposefulness at work. Um Something as simple as diversity at work is also an inclusion at work is also has also been shown to have positive impacts for for people's mental health. Um, I think a lot of the stuff that we can do as individuals, um, you know, isn't applies just as much in work as it does outside of work. So uh, our relationship with alcohol and drugs, our relationship with sleep, our relationship with exercise um, and also um, kind of getting to understand our minds. CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy, has been, I mean, without doubt, the kind of thing that saved my life. Um, and I would just love for everyone in the world to have some kind of understanding of how it works, really. Absolutely. And your book, I think, gives a very honest, but a also very warm perspective, um, personal perspective on what this was like for you but also has some of that kind of humanity in terms of oh, thank you you know we all have those life moments but being able to talk about them in a way that might make someone smile or laugh but also then say yeah I completely relate to that I think that's what anxious man does you know it's it's a it's a that wonderful read hoping. oh thank you that's so kind and, and that's exactly what I was hoping for I feel like a lot of um books or kind of you know shows content whatever it is in in this area can be quite sort of yeah and it's quite sort of downward you know staring at the floor and you know people will often say things like how brave and things like that yeah and I understand that and I guess for some people it's helpful but uh you need to get to a stage or we need to get to a stage where having an anxiety disorder is the same as having bad eczema yeah. or hay fever. Yeah. It's an irritant and it's something that you have to manage and do things about. It is an irritant. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. What, eczema or? All of it. All of it. <laughs> but you see what I mean? It's not, it, it doesn't have, to, you don't have to be defined by it. Yeah. And actually, you know, having written a book about this and now talking about it regularly, I do slightly worry if I'm starting to define myself by my own kind of problems with, with mental health. But like I was saying, if we can approach these things with a degree of normalcy, yeah, then over time, I think the conversation will move on. Absolutely. And that's what this podcast is all about. You know, we we talk about the fact that mental health or mental illness doesn't define us. We are a million different things as well as a mental illness that we might be living with. So mm. I think it's really important to have that 
part of your personality really present when you're talking about these things. Um, and we were just laughing before we started the podcast um, because Josh talks about the the trio of anxiety, depression <laughs> and OCD uh, as Destiny's Child. But you're going to have to read the book to find out who got what uh, in Destiny's Child. Me, that makes me sound so lowbrow. <laughs> it's not exactly Murakami, is it? It's not, <laughs> it's not at all. It's not at all. We've talked about the fact that the book is is wonderful, but do check out the Destiny's Child reference, you know, just <laughs> for you. fun. Um, your final I am is I am trying to approach mental health differently. And I think we've touched upon this, but I'd love to know um, how you see that working. Yeah, I think particularly as a bloke. Mm-hmm. So we have a huge problem, not just in this country, but around the world with um, male mental health. And a lot of the conversation around male mental health is quite accusatory in the sense of, oh, men should talk more or men should do this or men must open up. And actually, I think it's better to kind of flip that and and just rather than, you know, uh, be accusing blokes of being bad at something, try to encourage them or try to create an environment in which um, it's okay for them to sort of talk about things. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Difference in, in the approach. And yeah, I guess like we were saying, particularly in this book, but also in in my approach to mental health more broadly. I think if we can approach it with humour, humility, um, and a a kind of sense that it'll always get better, it might eventually get worse again, and it might get worse still, but eventually it always gets better. And if you can sort of crumple all those things together, then I hope we get a kind of fresh approach to mental health, which isn't, gosh, how terribly brave. Yeah. Um, and also, but also isn't crucially isn't um, the other side of it, which we see with a lot of sort of celebs and whatnot, which is the, you know, I, I love my depression or how depression saved me or these kind of weird um, takes on it. Um, let's just be normal. And if I can do that as a man, um, then I think that would be that would be, you know, something we'd be hugely proud of, actually. I think I really like your eczema analogy and the kind of irritant is it's it's part it's it's not brave it's what I have to go through every day or it's what I'm dealing with and it it just is actually and this is how I'm dealing with it or this is how it comes and goes rather than this is what defines me or it's very difficult to to remember that when you're in it yes you know so at the moment I'm you know doing pretty well but when you're in the midst of a depressive episode or a particularly tight, anxious spot, um, you know, the view from the bottom of the valley is never particularly good. And you no. can tend to think that it is your world and it will never get better. Um, I actually have it all written down in my phone, the kind of instances where I've thought, gosh, this is really it. And then two weeks later, I've been having a great time. Yeah. And so you can kind of have that objectivity. Um, but yeah, if we can, I mean, I'm not saying that we, eczema is desirable. No. <laughs> no, nobody no. needs eczema in their lives. But if we could get to that stage with with mental health, then I think we'd be doing really well. Yeah, I agree. And I think there is a huge wave of um, people and organisations who are with you on that in terms of making it part of the conversation Mm. rather than the conversation. So people like the Book of Man are doing amazing work. Um, Calm. There's lots of different kind of charities and organisations that are doing that. So the conversation is wider. The conversation is, is a bigger conversation that continues. Definitely. I mean, those organisations are incredible. I would mention Mind actually as well, yeah, although it's less mind. specifically blokey. Um, 
they've got some really great very simple advice on their website which I would thoroughly recommend yeah we have a lot of respect for mind and also the great work that they do with with tv and radio helping people to kind of talk about mental health responsibly and not the accusatory which you've just talked about uh style or, or dumbing down how do you feel when you're you're watching programs um where they're very dismissive of mental health as being a millennial issue. Oh, it's the sort of snowflakey one. Yeah. We've tried for the last goodness knows how many hundred years ignoring mental health, um, stiff upper lips and manning up. And it's led us to a situation where the biggest killer of blokes under the age of, I think, 45 yeah. is themselves. The, you know, the most likely thing to kill me is me. Yeah. That's madness. And my only argument would be, We've tried um, all of the kind of stiff upper lip stuff and it's led us to this point. So why don't we at least for 100 years or so try the other way? Give us something else again. But I think let's err on the side of let's help you out for a few years and just see where we get to. Yeah. You know, may, may, Who knows? Maybe maybe nothing will change. Maybe this is an kind of insuperable problem that will never get fixed. Um, but I'm fairly confident that that isn't the case. It makes sense to me. Yeah, I think so makes real sense so we're going to move on to what i have which is i have learned to manage my anxiety disorder yes so yeah we were talking about this earlier i've got much better at and it's just experience really because it's i've lived through so many episodes and then got better and i can spot when one's inbound and i've got much more adept at you know taking action I don't know if the action itself fixes the problem or if it's just the sensation of having a degree of control yeah. and kind of taking back an element of control, which I like. But either way, I've changed my relationship with alcohol. I mean, completely. Yeah. I'm not teetotal. I did that for about a year and then it was just unsus- too many weddings. <laughs> too, too many boring weddings. <laughs> Other people listen- yeah, made yeah, that exactly. unsustainable. If you're listening and I came to your wedding... It was brilliant. Um, so, but I'm much more, I guess, mindful of how much I booze and I try never to get a hangover. It's not a perfect science and I get it wrong very often, but I find that hangovers tend to be uh, the kind of prelude to an anxious episode <clears throat> or even kind of low to medium level boozing for two or three days. So drink less. I exercise much more. I mean, not that you'd know it. <laughs> <laughs> to look at me but before again before this happened to me I was a complete couch potato I'm still a potato of some sort but I exercise three times a week and not obsessively if I miss it you know then that's okay but I try to to exercise three times a week rhythmic aerobic exercises we talk about in the book have been shown to be the most kind of anxiolytic anti-anxiety inducing um cbt like i mentioned i've been through a very formal process of cognitive behavioral therapy with an incredible chap um who, who comes up in the book lots and um has really really changed my kind of perspective not just on my anxiety but on life in general and and one of the things i would just emphasize underline put in bold for for any blokes listening therapy comes with all manner of kind of american style connotations about you know sitting on chaise longs and you know thick carpets and modern art on the walls the reality is so much different it's so practical it's so hands-on and i love that 
I'm so um, glad you said that. Yeah, because if you'd pitched it to me before this happened to me, when I was, if you said when I was 25, oh, you're going to go into a room and you're going to unpick the thought, you're going to arrest the thoughts in your head and challenge them with logic, you know, I probably would have told you to, well, I would have used four letter words. Yeah. And it's, it's just not that. It's a very, very practical, write this down, remember to do this, go through this process next time it happens. And I love the, the, the practicality of it. I think it appeals to, I mean, it appeals to women, of course, but I think there is an element of that that appeals to to men specifically. Um, and um, so sort of putting all those things together, the you know, kind of boozing and exercising and, and, and um, the CBT, I've got much more adept at managing, well, spotting when it's coming and then taking action to manage it. And I would say in the last year or so, that process has become so much easier. It, it, if I'd gone on a stag do two years ago and told them, actually, I'm not drinking this weekend, I would have been laughed out of the, you know, laughed all the way back to Budapest Airport or whatever. <laughs> Nowadays, that isn't the case. Well, not and not just because my friends are used to that kind of behaviour from me, but also because the conversation has just changed. You notice, I mean, and I'm good at hiding how much I'm not drinking. And so I spot other people doing the exact same thing. Really? Oh, definitely. You know, you see people sneaking off for glasses of water in a nightclub or something. Or just having a tonic instead of a gin and tonic. A gin and tonic or a couple of the uh, zero alcohol beers in a pint glass and all that kind of stuff. And I, it's quite, it, you know, it's fun to see it happening. And I never call anyone on it when I see it. But that process of kind of managing anxiety and stuff has become a lot easier. It isn't as um, sort of socially crunchy as it once was. It sounds like you've got a real method now for managing spotting and dealing with um and i think if anyone listening to this takes away one big thing it's that there is still a, a certain stigma around therapy but actually it can be as practical and as supportive as many many other things there are so many different types of therapy and sometimes it's finding the one that works for you and as you said cbt yeah. it's very pragmatic it's very much about questioning and taking action so if you're listening to this and you you need support have a think about looking at the different types of therapy and and how they might help for and sure. read josh's book and also the other thing um just briefly on on that is the British attitude towards therapy is quite unique in the sense that people tend to settle for the first type of therapy or the first therapist that yes. they meet. And I was guilty of exactly the same thing, you know, and I also was guilty of equating cost with quality. Yeah. So I thought, oh, well, we've got to spend as much money as I can possibly afford to get the most fancy therapist I can possibly afford because their help will be somehow better. It's not like that. No. It's almost like finding a driving teacher. Yeah. driving instructor you know you could have a brilliant expensive driving driving instructor but if you don't connect with this person or you think they're an idiot or you, you don't trust them you sort of tune into their bad breath or whatever it is it's over they're never going to teach you how to parallel park and it's the same <laughs> and it's the same with it's the same with you know cbt or psychotherapy or other kinds of therapy too it absolutely is and i would say don't be too polite i think th 
you know, maybe it's a Brit thing. I don't know. But it's okay to have a conversation in a first session with someone and say, do you know what? This isn't going to work. They're professionals and they want you to find the professional support you you need. So it's okay to move on if if the person that you're having therapy or the type of therapy isn't working for you. Absolutely. So thank you for explaining that. And we're going to finish with one final question, which is if you could meet yourself in 10 years time, what do you hope he would say to you? Congratulations on the New York Times bestseller. Amazing, (laughs) yep. And maybe, wow, you've lost weight. No, um, I would love to get to a stage where, and I completely understand that this is, there's a sort of delicious irony in having written a book about mental health. I would love to get to a stage where this was a discrete period of time in my life. And I don't know if I'll ever get there. Um, I'm certainly quite cheery to crack on, even if it, you know, continues to flare up through the rest of my life. But I would love to get to a stage where I go, gosh, do you remember that sort of five or six years when mental health was a real thing for me and and wasn't that an interesting and bizarre period of time? And now it's not a thing. That sounds like a good thing for future Josh to tell you <laughs> and have and that the conversation. Thing. <laughs> and, the, and the bestseller thing first. Maybe the bestseller thing isn't just about this book. Oh, I see. Maybe it's the next one and the next one. Goodness me. There we go. (laughs) Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. And thank you for sharing your story with us all. No, I really enjoyed that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Josh, for joining us today and also for all the work you continue to do. His book, The Anxious Man, Notes on a Life Lived Nervously, is out on the 16th of April and you can pre-order now. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Counselling Directory and Happiful Magazine. As always, please rate, review and share if you like what you hear. If you'd like to read more about mental health and wellbeing, visit the App Store and download our new Happiful app so you can read our magazine on the go, as well as finding out about therapy, wellbeing and other support available in your area. If you need to speak to someone immediately, the Samaritans are available 24 hours a day on 116123 and you can also email joe at samaritans.org. Help is available. This podcast has been produced by Happiful and Fresh Air Production. We hope you'll join us again soon.